Hey guys, this is Aaron and Riverman with BehindTheMaskPresents.com. We're here with best-selling true crime author Corey Mitchell and co-founder of the upcoming Housecore Horror Film Festival with legendary Phil Anselmo. Hi, Corey. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Is this Todd? This is Aaron. This, this is Aaron. Aaron. I'm Todd. <laughs> Todd and Aaron. I am so confused. No, no I'm just kidding, guys. That's all right, man. No problem. <laughs> how you doing, man? We're, we're fantastic, man. I got to tell you... I, we're so excited for this. I don't think there's enough festivals like this going on. Um, oh, I'd almost I don't, say, I, don't think there, I don't think there are any like this one yet. I, I don't. Well, <laughs> I don't think there's any either. And I almost say I wish there was, but I guess I guess I don't want any competition for you guys. I'd really just like to see this grow and grow and grow and become better and better. Um, but before we get into that, how long have you known somebody like Phil Anselmo, and what exactly sparked the interest for you guys to throw on an entire festival like this? Uh, you know, the Philip and I have known each other officially for about four and a half years now, and uh, our relationship came about because he was thinking about writing a book of poetry, and I was thinking about doing a book on the uh, Dimebag Daryl shooting, mm-hmm. and uh, through weird circumstances, uh, a guy I knew at Metal Sucks had a family member that met Philip's aunt at a restaurant. And, uh, you know, they got to talking, and uh, somehow it all came back that we got connected to one another. And then through our conversations between Philip and I, uh, I just became, you know, you know, dude, you've got such an amazing story to tell uh, his whole life. And it was, it was really weird, too, because I was actually a big fan of Pantera before Philip had even joined the band. And uh, so I, I go back to like Projects in the Jungle, the second album with Terry, yeah, yeah. Terry Gray's on vocals, which, you know, I always tell everybody if if you put the name Def Leppard on that record, it would have sold 10 million records. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I'm absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it was an awesome record, man. And so, you know, when Philip came aboard about three or four years later, uh, you know, I was blown away because I'd started getting into more heavy stuff also. I was getting into the whole hair metal phase and and even old Pantera, even though people give them shit about being glam metal stuff, they still had an edge to them. It was more of a Van Halen, or early Death Leopard, you know, onto the night kind of vibe to it as opposed to Poison Dock and, you know, all that kind of cheese ball hair metal that had come out. Yeah. So anyway, you know, when, when Philip and I actually met and started talking about all these things, you know, he was blown away by the fact that I was a fan. He thought that was just phenomenal. Um, and then, of course, you know, we both had, it turned out we both had a lot of people in the same circles. Because I used to do a lot of metal stuff back in Austin, Texas when I was going to college there. Uh, I used to do the uh, college station metal show for three years in the late 80s. I used to book a lot of shows that would come through, like all the big metal touring bands. And uh, I'd also put on a lot of uh, local showcases for uh, for Austin bands, for Austin metal bands. And so that's how I got to know guys like Adam from uh, Anchor Watt and Screw and Ministry and Danny Loner, who went on to play Nine Inch Nails, and Jason McMaster and Dangerous Toys and Watchtower and all that. So, you know, we had all these, Philip and I had all these similar circles of people that we knew on our own, but uh, he and I actually never crossed paths until, you know, years later when he was in Pinker and they were big, and uh, he would come through and play, and so um, it was just kind of strange, and then once, uh, you know, so back to the phone call that we had about, uh, you know, writing a book of poetry, and I'm just like, dude, your story is just so phenomenal, the story of Pantera is amazing, the things you've done outside of the band are phenomenal, and, and insane and crazy as well. It's, you know, we, and you haven't really had a chance to tell yourself the story yet. And, you know, we went back and forth over for several months, you know, whether we, you know, whether that was him just trying to feel comfortable with me uh, and whether he believed that that was the, the route that he should take. And then after several months, uh, he agreed. He's like, fuck yeah, dude, let's, uh, can I curse on your show? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure. Man. Sorry, a little late for the test. Only, only, only if you talk in the Phil and Selmo impersonation when you speak as Phil and Selmo. All right. Well, you got to give me. I have to drink some water, and I'll do it later, man. So, <laughs> I, I've got it down pretty good. So I, do, I we, think we I do even, too. We might even pull a trick on you guys down at the uh, at the at the film festival too. But I'm not saying anything else. So. <laughs> Corey. <laughs> Go 
fucking this. No, I can't do it. I'm not, I'm, oh. not, I'm not there yet, man. I'm not there We're going to go head to head. I think I got you beat if that's all you got. But Yeah, that's, well, that's, no, that's <laughs> nothing, man. That's, I've, I've got to work up to it. So. <laughs> you know, you, you kind of you answered my what was going to be my next question, but like, I, I would have guessed that you guys bonded through the, the realm of horror. And looking at the lineup for this festival, I would have thought, okay, we got the you know the hard edge music. I mean, nothing goes better with extreme film than extreme music. I would have guessed that was Phil's doing, and maybe you were more involved with the other half. But you're just as big of a metalhead. Oh, dude, I'm uh, I, I'm the guy they called the narc back in the metal scene back in the day. Back when everybody was skinheads and long hairs, I was the short haired frat looking dude. <laughs> so I was always the narc, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the narc. <laughs> but the funny thing is, is that I was always more into the the background of the scene. I was more into who did what, who played what, you know, where did this band come from, what was this scene all about. And so I just knew this, and I, I kind of just absorbed stuff. It's it's why I'm, it's, I have a perfect career as a writer, because it's just absorbing everything that you can get your hands under and then spitting it all back out. And so, you know, I would be around all these long-haired or skinheads, and they're, first they'd trust me, and then they start talking to me about the music, and I knew more about it than they did. And they were like, oh, this guy's all right, man. He's not a fucking narc, you know? And uh, so, yeah, I, yeah, I'm just a long-time scene person before, and then I started getting involved through the radio show that I did. And then I started a management company where I managed only metal bands in Austin. And then I started an uh, independent record label that was a you know covered Austin and San Antonio region. So yeah, since '88, that's when I officially got involved in the music business. And so uh, yeah, so that's a quarter of a century of, of being you know, actually actively involved in it. Whereas probably five years before that, of just going to every concert that came into town, and that was. You know the metal stuff, and that was the the, the the beginning of the hardcore stuff, and you know these crowds starting to come together and you know, trying to accept one another. So I got to see all of that come to you know things that everybody now just takes for granted was such a big deal back then. So to witness all that was really amazing. Mm-hmm. And then you know I was able to see the Houston scene with bands like Dead Horse, and then the Dallas scene with Gamified and Sedition and Rigor Mortis and. You know, and it's a funny thing. I didn't know the New Orleans scene, but, you know, Philip obviously did, but he also knew the Dallas scene, too, and then the Austin scene a little bit. So, yeah, so it's, you know, the, I'm, a, I'm even though I don't look the part, I'm a, a dyed-in-the-wool, you know, hardcore metalhead, yeah. and just as uh, I've actually been a horror fanatic longer than I've been a metalhead, so. Your <laughs> business during the week and party on the weekends, I can respect that. You come from a day... Yeah, but with, without the mullet, though. Without man. the mullet? You know, I'm 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 27. So when I was a little one, you know, I'm guilty of uh, getting forced to have mullets around that era. I don't like to admit it. I'm sorry, man. It is. Got a rat tail. I never had a rat tail. You know, but no, no, seriously, man. It's funny if you go back and you look at my high school pictures. I look for the same, except I have a little bit of gray hair and I've got some circles under my eyes, and that's from having two kids. So, you know, it's. I'm sorry, go ahead, man. Oh, no, no, I think it's awesome that you come from a day, um, and I'm not trying to sound like you're a lot older because I come from that day, too, that comes, but where you had to, to respect music, you, you wanted to know where it came from, and, and people take all that stuff for granted nowadays. I mean, I bet you still buy physical music. Do you not? I do not, actually. You There's do a not? reason for oh. that. No, I do not. I'm all about Spotify, man. Fuck, oh. you know, fuck keeping stacks of shit in my fucking garage, man. You know, I mean, I... I've had every single damn format, you know, for A track to cassette to LP to, you know, then we go to Laserdisc and VHS and Beta and all that shit. I'm like, fuck that, man. I need space. <laughs> and, and you're the kind of guy that has no problem just selling all that stuff. I can't. I'm a hoarder. I know that was that's that's, that's a, you would think that, but uh, actually, I still have a stash of everything that is totally important to me. You know, I've got my violence LP. I've got, you know, the, the, the early anthrax, the uh, old Black Sabbath, the old Led Zeppelin. The I've got the Pantera fucking records on vinyl, you know, and they're just taking up space and in boxes up in my uh, up in my attic and in my closets, man. So, you know, plus, you know, then I used to have the, the entire, you know, like, two first 200 editions of Fangoria, too. Oh, nice. You know, 
you know, with nice little plastic covers and everything too. So, um, but yeah, so those things, those are going to stick, but you know, all the, all the stuff that we got when I worked at the radio station and, you know, the, I don't know, it's like the trickster CDs and the, you know, the pretty boy, pretty boy Floyd CDs. Those have gone by the wayside and some fool bought it on eBay 15 to go so <laughs> <laughs> i i even the, even the stuff i don't like i'm so weird about like collecting things i still have my first cassettes i ever bought when i was like four or five at a garage sale it was uh kill them all on cassette and uh no. bobby brown bobby brown don't be cruel which one of those do i listen to more you can guess <laughs> but i still have them both that's awesome <laughs> and, uh, man hey, it was you know and hopefully you didn't lose that that, that desire for a little bobby brown every now and then i mean hey, to me it was pretty it was Prince or Roger and Zap that would kind of, you know, satiate my my blues vibe that I needed to have, or my more my R and B vibe, you know, R and B vibe. But uh, yeah, you know, Kill 'Em All, and I'm glad you say Kill 'Em All, and not like the Black Album. So. No, I, I'm not going to diss the Black Album, but I got to be honest, the, the first one was my first album. I, Black Album was fine, too. And I do listen to Prince. I bust yeah. out the assless chaps on occasion and, you know, listen to a little sexy motherfucker every now and again. Um, Bobby Brown, when I'm feeling like, you know, when, when I'm a little lonely and you you got to put the candles on and listen to a little tenderoni. Um, no shame in Man, I'm straight as can be. I'm all excited just listening to you. <laughs> you know, I, you know, and I could talk about music all day long. I think if, if Riverman in here, or that's Todd, if we were on Jeopardy, he would probably take home the uh, horror categories, and I would totally take home the uh, the music categories. But well, you, uh, know, you know, I actually, I actually I lived in L.A. for a while, and I actually auditioned for Rock and Roll Jeopardy. Oh, yeah. And you know who the fucking host was? Yeah, it was Greg Jeff, Probst. Jeff Probst. Jeff Probst, dude. Right. So I actually made it past the, uh, the test-taking round, but then uh, I think that, again, I think my narcness worked against me. Um, and that, you know, A, I didn't have big tits, and uh, B, I didn't act like a complete buffoon uh, on camera. And so the, all that shit worked against me, man. So <laughs> uh, nothing against people that are buffoons or have large breasts, you know. So, <laughs> so, I mean, are you saying that if you had big tits, that's all that's keeping you from being an attractive female? or? Well, you know, it's all it's it's what prevented me from getting on television. <laughs> you know, I remember I remember watching that program and they used to I didn't really I didn't realize they actually had standardized shows of it. I remember the celebrity editions. And I remember Dave Mustaine went on there one time and I guess he took home the whole the whole enchilada. And that I mean, for like the next five years that's all he bragged about was he won on Rock and Roll Jeopardy. And like, oh you're still the guy that released Risk. Shut up. But no, no, it's funny. But I, I, I what? Yeah, go ahead, yeah, sorry. No, I'm just saying I missed that. That's I would bomb on Jeopardy, but if you kept it all pop culture, I'd rule it. But so <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah, but I could talk about that stuff all day long. I want to talk about movies. Riverman here is itching to talk about some of the films you guys got on the bill. Yeah, some sure. of, some of my personal favorites actually. Uh, you guys are gonna be showing a lot a lot of 35 millimeter prints of uh, what Necromantic, Shram, uh, a lot of Van Beber stuff, which is always good. Um, and which they're going to be, are they going to be both there at the three show too? Special, yeah, yeah, we're bringing in three special guest directors. The two that you just mentioned, York Bucharite, yeah. who did the Necromantic films, and Shram, and Derek Twardisking, I never pronounce that right, and uh, Corpse Fucking Art, a, a fantastic documentary. Uh, I mean, those are the films that he's made. We're showing the two Necromantic films and Shram. Uh, and then we're bringing in Jim Van Bever, of course. Oh, yeah. uh, Philip and Jim know each other. Uh, you know, I don't know if you know the story, but Philip was actually the one who uh, completed the financing for uh, Van Bever's second film. Uh, it used to be called Charlie's Family. Mm-hmm. Most everybody now, for the last seven years, know it as the Manson Family. And uh, Philip closed out the the financing for that film for Jim. Uh, he provided music, a couple of different pseudonyms. Uh, for that film, and then he also was the voice of Satan in that movie. Um, and so, you know, and then I think from that point, I think Van Beber then went on. I know he directed uh, Revolution is My Name, the Pantera video, mm-hmm. and I know he did The Alcoholic on Super Joint Ritual, and I think he did one other Super Joint Ritual uh, music video, too, for uh, for Philip. And then, uh, so yeah, so Jim will be there. He'll be screening Deadbeat of Dawn. He'll be screening The Manson Family. Uh, we're going to at least be doing two, uh, three of his shorts. There's uh, Roadkill, Kill, Juan says John Martin, 
and then My Sweet Satan, which is one of my favorite shorts of all time, mm-hmm. and then uh, his brand new short film uh, called Gator Green, which mm-hmm. is completely different than uh, all of his other films, but it's still got that little weird psychotic Van Bever flavor to it. And then, uh, and then our third special guest is uh, Jose Marins, I can you know, basically known as uh, Coffin Joe. Oh yeah, and, we, I met Coffin Joe before. Nice, so great he, guy. Yeah, He's coming in from Brazil, and uh, what he told us was that was, this will be his first appearance, you know, like official appearance in 19 years in mm-hmm. Chiller Theater in Jersey, like in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're stoked to bring him in, uh, showing uh, you know two of Joe Felix, and then he actually also directed a. Um, well, we were premiering a an anthology called the Profane Exhibit. Oh yeah, I've heard about that. <laughs> amazing, a lot of amazing directors in it, like uh, Ruggiero Diodato mm-hmm. did the Campbell Holocaust. Uh, Richard Stanley did one of my favorite films in Hardware, and also Death Devil. Uh, Ryan Nicholson, uh, um, I can't remember, but it's involved in, there's such a big list. Um, but uh, Coffin Joe does a segment in the Profane Exhibit as well. So in addition to his two feature films, which uh, one of them is having its 50th year anniversary, so we're really stoked about that. Uh, but then he'll also be you know, coming in for the Profane Exhibit red carpet and uh, introducing the film and doing a Q and A afterwards, and on all the and all three of the of the gentlemen are doing that uh, for all of their films. They'll be doing intros and Q and As and everything too. And uh, I think I know I know Bootgerite and Van Bever are definitely going to be hanging out the whole weekend. Nice. Um, they already told me. I don't know about Coffin Joe. He'll just be in there for one or two days, or, or if he'll be there the whole time. So you know they'll be milling around and hanging out and watching the bands and then just enjoying themselves as well. Uh, they'll be doing signings and all that kind of stuff too. So, yeah, I saw that you're you're so, going to be showing a lot of um, Grindhouse releasing films too, which uh, I am really excited about. Uh, is like Scum of the Earth. I have never seen that, and I've been wanting to see that forever. Oh, nice. That's good to hear, man. You know, it's because there's a couple of them that are you know, a little bit like, more obscure, and we're like, all right, man, we hope somebody's going to walk in there and actually check it out because that's the whole point, man. Is to you know, we we want people to come in and go, man, I want to go see Guar, but, you know, they're not playing until 11 o'clock on this night, so I'm here at 10 in the morning, why don't I go check out Scum of the Earth yeah. over at the theater? You know, we want something, you know, we want people to take the risk and take a chance and, you know, see something they haven't seen or go see something you have, but see with a group of people, man. Because, you know, most of this generation now, it's, you know, I mean, you know, this has been since I was a, you know, a teenager, when the uh, VHS revolution came in and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, home video watching is that it's great, man. You get your hands on everything, whether you're watching it on Netflix, or you're downloading it, or you've got it on DVD. Uh, but you don't have that communal vibe that yeah. you used to get. You know, and even, even back then, the communal vibe wasn't all that great because, you know, you're going to the local theater and, oh, honey, look, what's Evil Dead 2? You know, <laughs> so somebody has no clue and they're just like, oh, this is horrible, I hate it. But, you know, house score horror is the total opposite. It's every single person that's there is going to be into metal or horror or both. And, you know, to have that instant bond with people, that instant communication, you don't have to you know, explain yourself to anybody why you're there. <laughs> like, you know, I still to this day have to explain to my mom why I like, you know, a Rumor magazine and Fangoria magazine. <laughs> you know, and she, you know, she's like, I just don't get it. But she's learning that it's about the artistry of the special effects and everything else. I've had that talk, so, too. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, so you guys know. I mean, you know what it's like, you know. It's like, okay, I can go and watch these sick-ass films and go, you know, thrash out like a maniac, uh, you know, 34 bands. And nobody there is going to be giving me weird looks. You're like, oh, dude, that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to that aspect of it, too. That, uh, you know, I, I think that's a big part of it, too, is that it's being a you know, festival. It's about meeting people that are like interests and, uh, you know, willing to share their, their likes and, and also to kind of get into the, you know, the minutia of different things. If, you know, this band, I mean, you know, like suffocation sounds nothing like bloody hammers, mm-hmm. but they're both fucking badass. And, you know, I'm hoping like 
somebody that may be closed-minded about one kind of music will be open-minded when they see something that may appeal to them that may not be what they're used, you know, usually involved or interested in the most. But, uh, you know, you never know, man. And that's, uh, you, we definitely are not going to make everybody happy um, with every choice, but it's about here's a ton of choices. You take it off the menu, and you have a good, a good time while you're there. I want to talk about uh, you, you're going to have a particular screening, and I don't know. I think it's the right title. Is it called "Fuck Remakes"? And you're getting. Oh, it's you not are... a specific. You know, well, it's "Fucking Remakes." It's a play on "Fucking Hostile." Okay. And it's pretty much. It's not as you know. That's not the name of the film, but that's just kind of a block of movies. No, the block of films. I, yeah, of course. Yeah, and, block of films that we're going to show that have been remade this year or at least released this year. Like, uh, mm-hmm. like so far around there, we have Maniac, and we have uh, Evil Dead. Yeah, Evil Dead. Yeah. Well, and, and the reason and, why I'm interested in I brought it up is actually because we were really, really excited for the Evil Dead reboot, remake, whatever you call it. And we were we were actually so behind it. We got sold on it. And by the way, we were disappointed in it. But anyway, leading up to it... I hated it. I just I, you know, I, I fucking hated it. Yeah, it was horrible. We, we really hated it. And um, But anyway, leading up to it, we felt like we had to eat some crow. Because we were actually standing behind it because we got sold on it. We got sold on all the lies, you know, five seconds right. into that thing. It's like, wow, there's totally CGI in this. And there's Thank to- you. you know. Thank you, man. <laughs> like it- I, you know, I, I was writing, I, I saw the world premiere, or at least the U.S. premiere at South by Southwest. Uh, and I was covering for Bloody Disgusting, who I used to do film festival coverage for. And that's the first thing I wrote. I'm like, they've been saying bullshit about, oh, there's, there's no CGI, it's all practical effects. You know, that opening sequence with the, the little stupid flashback was so fake. Mm-hmm. I mean, immediately, I'm like, all right, they're full of shit. You know, I just got through seeing Bruce Campbell out on the red carpet. He's full of shit. And I love fucking Bruce Campbell. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, don't lie, man. You don't have to lie to your fans. Well, because and, the thing uh, is, the thing is, is it wasn't an abundance of CGI. And for the most part, yeah. it was tastefully done. So it's like, I would have forgiven it. But it's the fact that they were using that as a marketing ploy the whole time. And, exactly. And honestly, I mean, if it wasn't for that first scene in the fire... It would have been actually really, really tastefully done, and I, you, a lot of people probably wouldn't even noticed it because it was such a darkly, you know, casted film and the blood and things. But that fire—it was, was, was such a terrible movie, man. Uh, and it was so funny because and that's the weird thing about film festivals is that everybody there is a huge film fan. Usually, you know, if you're going to spend that kind of money and spend that amount of time, usually you've got people that are film fanatics. Yeah. And so everybody tends to be, you know, less critical because they're all around a bunch of people there to have a great time and see a flick that nobody else has seen. And, you know, it's just the standard. I'd say probably 80% of the theater were not hardcore horror fans uh, like we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's like, oh, ooh, oh, ooh, oh, you know, everything was the funniest thing they'd ever seen, and everything was the goriest scene they'd ever seen. That that is so funny. You say that, you know. I mean, obviously, it's got a bigger budget these days, and obviously, it's following up, you know, uh, thirty years of of it being a cult, so it's got more legs, I, I guess. But you know, right. and, and that's kind of cool, though, that you know, all these people are going to be exposed to something, and you know, you know, eighty percent of the crowd. Are, you know, they're not going to know the source material, but hopefully they'll go out there and find out, you know, the source material. Right. But, yeah, you're right. It's it's like the fraternity folks, the the jock guys, and, you know, it, it, the the kind of people Everybody, like, oh, the, whoever, you know, it's like whatever's trendy or popular. It, oh, man, I've heard Evil Dead's really the cool movie to go see. Well, you saw what happened on the box office. They, you know, they blew up the first weekend, and then it died. Yeah. You know, right that, after but that's, because, horror. that's horror movies these days anyway. I mean, they yeah, have, yeah. just like, yeah, just like heavy, true, but heavy metal. But that, this was supposed to be different than just the regular release, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, it's so great. It's going to be here all summer long, and it died in like three weeks. It's tapped into the casual market, and the casual market, they go to the movies every Friday night, and and, and whatever the blockbuster is, is the greatest thing they've ever seen up to that point, and the next week... Saturday, you know, until somebody yeah, yeah. negatively tweeted about it. So, and and I, I went to this theater, and I and what I didn't understand was everybody was dying laughing at it, everything, and right. I didn't understand it because okay, I get it, you know, the 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 first one maybe unintentionally, the second one definitely intentionally shtick. This one was right. not going for humor 
It was going, and everybody was dying laughing at every stupid thing, and it really took me out of any enjoyment I might have gotten out of it. And it was, I didn't yeah, understand. You know, I mean, the first movie is really a fucking scare fest. I mean, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, that Philip's favorite horror film of all time is the original Evil Dead. He doesn't like Evil Dead 2. I love Evil Dead 2. Evil Dead 2 is my favorite. See, Evil Dead 1's my favorite, so. It's, yeah, so, and I love, I love both of those. I hate Army of Darkness. Sorry to say that. That's just me, but it just was, you know, not an easy going to that. But uh, so Philip has just flat out refused to see the re- the remake, and we're, and it's not like he and I are not remake snobs, you know what I mean? It's like he really liked the remake, of, you know, which he really thinks is a prequel of the thing mm-hmm. that came out like a year and a half ago. Oh, the and, remake, uh, remake? You know, yeah, yeah, exactly, the third one. And so, you know, and then for me, obviously, I love The Fly. I think that's one of the best movies. Oh you know, yeah, The Fly is just phenomenal. And, uh, you know, you can go down the list of, you know, a handful of really quality good remakes. So it's not like, all right, I'm going to hate it. You know, I even like that Spit on Your Grave, the remake. Oh, I like that, too. That was great. We did, too. And and there's... There's a couple of them out there. As long as they're, you know, doing something a little different, not dishonoring the source material. I spit on your grave right. is a good one. There was some really cool. I mean, was it was that the one where they had like the shotgun to the asshole yeah. at the end, or whatever it was? You know, I, I, I had so many between writing true crime books, uh, having to watch gore shit all the time, and then uh, and then watching horror films. I can't even keep track of the body counts, man. I need like a Joe Bob Briggs <laughs> chart of. You know, what decapitation? Oh, God. Disembowelments. <laughs> Three skulls. <laughs> Dude, we, I, I have been trying to get in touch with Joe Bob Briggs for a long time. That guy ain't answering the phone. I don't know what the deal because we love Joe Bob. I miss having somebody oh, yeah. like that. I miss having Joe Bob Absolutely, on Saturday. Absolutely, man. Taking the, taking the piss out of the genre, but I love obviously it. loving the genre at the same time, man. That's a that's a hard thing to pull off, and he always did it. I, I but, got uh, introduced. Yeah, God, I got introduced to so many films like Motel Hell or oh, know, yeah. Joe Bob. Oh, God. I don't know. Well, and they're remaking that, and they're remaking Poltergeist, and they're fucking remaking Rosemary's Baby, and it's just, come oh. on, guys. Well, I mean, it's yeah. crazy because they're going after these films that, you know, have just sort of a slight underground following that, you know, they're they're stealing these ideas, and they're rehashing. It's not even, I mean, yeah, there's Poltergeist films they are doing that. Those are obviously well-established names. But they remade films like Black Christmas, and and oh, like, yeah. uh, like you said, I mean, Maniac and things like this. They're really scraping here, yeah. and which I'm not saying, not slighting those old movies or not, but I mean, I don't know. It's It really, really explains the drought that we have in uh, Hollywood creativity, but well, and it, you know, remakes have been around since movies have been made, so mm-hmm. it's it's nothing new. Uh, but it's just you would think that with all the advances in technology and the advances in education and the, in the writing and this and that, that people would be able to create additional ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead of just rehashing what's already been done or proving to be a, a marketable commodity, and uh, yeah, that's that's annoying as hell, man. And especially when you're doing a, like you guys said, you're doing a disservice. To the original source material. That's when it gets fucking frustrating for me. You know, I, I could just imagine, you know, Lucio Fulci's The Beyond, you know, directed by Michael Bay. <laughs> and it's just like, no, you can't do that stuff. You just, wow. you just gotta stop, come up with something new and original and, uh, and see what happens. And that's, you know, that's one thing which we have not released uh, a ton of the films that we're going to be showing. You know, we've only, all we've announced are the, uh, you know, the Grindhouse releasing films, uh, the Profane Exhibit, and then our guest directors and, and their films. So we have a whole other package, I mean, a slew of films that we're going to, there's probably going to be, you know, I can't give you a definitive count today. Um, but we're probably looking at between features and short films about somewhere between eighty and hundred. Oh wow! Uh, for that weekend, so you know when I'm saying you know, you're going to have a shitload of choices all weekend and really mean it. And uh, you know if you're bored, it's your fault for picking all the <laughs> How uh, how have the independent submissions been going? What do you guys have in store? Well, you guys yeah, get a lot perfect, of quality. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what we're getting at is that you know you don't have to keep making remakes. And it's being proven by these killer submissions we've gotten from people. You know, indie filmmakers, people doing it totally on their own, out in their backyards, in the woods, in their house, you know, with you know, affordable equipment. And what they are remembering is that, you know, horror is, is actually is very difficult to pull off. Uh, but they, 
you know, there are some basics to it, which is basically you got to have good characters, you got to have a good story, and you got to have some fucking scares. And the way you get those scares is by characterization and by giving a shit about the people that are on the screen. And that doesn't mean you have to like everybody. Uh, you know, one of my, you know, I can tell you now, I want to bring it to the festival. We're trying to close the deal on it. Just uh, another film I saw at South by Southwest called Cheap Thrills. And uh, it's got uh, Sarah Paxton and the dude, I'm drawing a blank right now, but the, from uh, the Innkeepers, you know, the Ty West movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's got the two leads from that, and they're, yeah. it's a totally different kind of movie. And, uh, you know, it's it, it's all about four characters, and it says, you know, there's only one gore scene. In the, you know, it's not even gory, it's just there's one bloody scene in the whole movie. And that one bloody scene... When it happens, you know, this is after like an hour of getting to really know these characters, and not one of these characters is likable. <laughs> I mean, they're all despicable, but you give a shit about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you, you still would want to hang out with these folks for a night. And when this one particular scene comes up, dude, it was more affecting than anything in the Evil Dead remake. Mm-hmm. You know, well, and the Evil Dead remake is everybody's like, oh my god, there's the rain and blood, and it's, it's, it's so gross, and they're slicing their tongues open and sawing off their arms. I'm like, I can go on my computer and watch dudes get their fucking heads chopped off right now, yeah. you know, easily. It's and, it's a desensitized generation. I mean, Hollywood, you yeah. know, you gotta, you got nobody's nothing. There's no shock value with anything anymore. I think they're saying. I think after 1 a.m. you can hear the F word on <laughs> basic cable. It's ridiculous. And uh, things like that. But I could, but, it, but it, would, it would showcase a lack of creativity. Fuck it all. But, uh, <laughs> nah, that's, no, nah, no, that's no. Just being pretentious now, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is that's why you have these remakes. I'm just kidding you, man. I'm just, I'm that's all good. Let's take the prime example for remakes and this contrast of generation. You take the original uh, Amityville Horror, which I'm a huge fan of. I love the original, even though the the story was total bullshit. Um, It's a great work of fiction. Okay, they showed you nothing. They show you nothing. It's a slow burn. Your mind is doing all the work. I mean, all you get to see is a couple of cheesy-ass pig eyes in a window and like a uh, (laughs) – what was it? Like a a projection effect of a pig in a window, and that was it. And then – Fast forward, yeah, absolutely. The, fast forward to the Ryan Reynolds. It was all suspense in that old one. All suspense, man. The the the, the theme and the score. Which, by the way, the the film theme score and horror is dead. I want that to come back. But okay, fast well, forward to the new I mean, one. That's another side that we're trying to do with God, bringing Goblin in. You know? and, and that'd I, be awesome. I'm, I'm itching yeah. to bring that up. I was going to get to that with the music. And yeah, we'll definitely get to talk about that later. Man. I'm so, so stoked yeah. about that. But, uh, but you know, go on, man. I'm, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting into this. So it's all good. Fast forward to uh, Ryan Reynolds' era, um, George Lutz, and it was the exact opposite. They showed you all the demons like every two seconds, and it was just right. cheesy from the very first, reve- first reveal. I mean, right. and there was no buildup. It was it was nothing. I mean, the, in the original, yeah, you, you know, had- it, it's so weird, man. Because you know, a part of me, I love that slow burn and buildup, and then you're not showing me anything. And then at the same time, if it's done right, if you throw everything at me and it's effective, I'm all for that too. You know, it's like, I don't know if you've ever heard this painter by the name of Joe Coleman. Uh-uh, no. Okay, he, you know, have you seen the, the, uh, the sketch, uh, uh, excuse me, the sketch poster for Henry Portrait of the Serial? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's Joe Coleman. That's like Joe Coleman at his most calm and restrained. Um, if you go look him up, dude, his paintings are insane. They're huge. They're so detailed. They're so over the top and gory and, and disgusting. But it works, you know, because he's, he tells a story within the painting, literally with words and then with the, the way that the painting flows. And they're just huge pieces of, of storytelling, but, you know, they can be really disgusting. That works for me, you know. Mm. But... Evil, again, you know, let's go back to the Evil Dead remake. Just because you can cut off arms and make it look realistic and chop off heads and slice open tongues and, you know, crush arms and rip them off under vans or trucks or whatever, I mean, that doesn't mean shit, you know, because, again, like I said, I could go on bestgore.com and watch, you know, a, a freaking Syrian rebel 
cut a guy's heart out and fucking eat it on camera right there live, you know? Well, and what's your, it's, what's the your... most, it's the most forgettable, gory movie, I could say. I mean, it doesn't have those effective moments like a, let's say, maniac where uh, Thomas Sabini gets his head blown off, you know? It doesn't oh, have that. God. Or just even the slicing of the scalp. Yeah, like exactly. This. I mean, that, you feel that pain, you know? You feel that. I mean, for me, one of, one of the most, and this is, again, you know, we tend to glorify the films that we saw when we were kids, because it just it had such an impact. But, you know, one of my f- movies that really just trips me out the most still is the Brian De Palma's Dress to Kill. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, just the, the you know, Andy Dickinson on the elevator. I mean, sorry, spoiler alert if you haven't watched it. <laughs> and if you haven't watched it, you probably shouldn't be listening to the show anyway. <laughs> but, you know, when she... That whole cat and mouse scene in the in the museum for ten minutes with no words spoken, and you're just totally into it. And then when she actually gets killed, you're just you 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 believe, even though you don't like that character per se, as somebody you would necessarily like. Hey, I want to date her, um, but you buy into what she's up to and what she's doing and this game she's playing. And then when she gets killed, it really affects you. Yeah, you know. And then when Nancy Allen's on the elevator and uh, you know the killers thinking about stepping on the elevator and, you know, wanting to slice her, you know, doesn't know that she's there. And attention in that was just phenomenal. Just mm-hmm. That's just how you do it. And uh, Cheap Thrills does that stuff throughout the whole movie, man. It's a great flick. It's not a straight-up horror film, but it's it fits perfectly with that, you know, that motif of stressing you out and making you tense. I'll give you one. Here, I'll give you guys an exclusive. <laughs> oh. we're, we're probably going to announce this in a couple of weeks. And this is not, in, you're going to go, wow, that was his exclusive. But it's, it's amazing because, you know, one of the things we want to do with Housecore is expand the parameters of what the definition of horror films actually means. Uh, you know, it's not just Saw, it's not just Hostel, it's not just Exorcist, Rosemary's mm-hmm. Baby. It could be everything under this category, whether it's bloody or, you know, uh, slow burn or uh, leading to your imagination. Uh, one of the big films that I'm, I'm just amazingly excited about is there's not a single drop of blood in it. There's not a single weapon in it. There's not a single bad guy in it. Uh, it's called Charlie Victor Romeo. And it's, I saw it at Sundance this year, dude. It is the most tense, frightening film I've probably seen in 10 years. Hmm. And all it is, it's weird. It's actually, it's based on a play. All it is, is the retelling of plane crashes um, from the perspective of the uh, the pilots and if there's any, like, uh, you know, what they used to call stewardesses. It's all black box. It's based on black box recordings of these people right before the plane crash. Oh, wow. And it is amazing. I mean, it is the epitome of being fucking scared. And there's no blood in it. You know, and basically, it just goes you through that process of what happened, you know, taking real recordings and then turning it, you know, and then reenacting it. Mm-hmm. And then and then it's great because then they have a crash, right? And it's just, you know, the screen just goes black. And then they wait like five seconds. And then they give you, you know, the result. Whether did anybody survive this crash? Did everybody die on it? What was the cause of the crash? And so you're just on fucking pens and needles. And they did it for like five times. And it is, I mean, it blows me away. Nobody's nobody's heard of it except for when they screened it Sunday. So I don't think it's really screened in time since then. But we're showing it at ours. They're excited because they never thought a horror film festival would contact them. Uh, to show it, and they're like, "This is fantastic!" And it's even in 3D, so we're going to screen huh. it in 3D. Wow! <laughs> could you could you say the name of that film one more time? What was it called? Uh, yeah, it's uh, Charlie Victor Romeo. Charlie Victor Romeo. Three first. Okay, three first names. That's sure. It's it's you know it's I don't I I saw it in February and January, so it's you know it's some kind of code I can't remember. Yeah, and uh, the way you describe it, I mean, to me, I've always really judge the director by I mean if you can take a film with no budget and not have to rely on a bunch of gore effects and all that stuff and you can still with you know atmosphere and all that create a really right. good product like you're talking about and freak you out that's an amazing director that's your Stanley Kubrick's and that's all these people I mean I don't know that that amazes me more and that film actually sounds right up my alley and that's why I love well, films funny, like you, you, oh, I'm sorry go, go ahead. ahead no no you go sorry. ahead no, 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 no. Go ahead. I was just going to say that's why I love 
you know, I, I totally consider the original Alien a horror film more than oh, sci-fi, oh, yeah. and that's oh, yeah. by, that's that's head and shoulders my favorite movie of all time. Um, and then then after that, probably Hellraiser. I think it's a fantastic story. And Hellraiser was another thing like that where they didn't show you nothing. You saw the Cenobites at the very very beginning and the very end, but when those 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 what blinds started unfolding and you saw the light and the little oh, yeah. melody chime you were freaked out you wanted to piss your pants that was perfect and then of course the sequel then of course the sequel happened and hollywood decided they wanted to show you what hell looked like and it wasn't nearly right. as scary as what you built up in your own mind and to me it was a buzzkill but uh but yeah that's yeah, why i exactly. love stuff like that and well, that, this is you know like i said charlie victor romeo uh you know i mean and yes we will have traditional horror films as well but this is about like i said expanding the parameters of and, you know, and just think, man, we, I mean, we have already, you know, we put, you know, the tickets on sale starting in spring, just slow, and then we probably already have people coming in from at least 35 states already and about 12 foreign countries, and all these people are flying. <laughs> 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 and they're going to hate us, man. They're going to fucking hate us. Oh, Because man. they won't want to get back on their plane to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're going to be stuck in Austin, Texas, because they're going to be shitting their pants. So. <laughs> well, I'm, for one, I'm for one glad we booked those donkeys to go. We're just going to ride donkey back. Unless you there you go, man. You'll fit <laughs> yeah. right in Texas. <laughs> but I think it, this might be a stretch, but I've always looked at filmmaking like music. I mean, to me, they're almost, you know, they, they intertwine with each other, but... It, Filmmaking sometimes I think needs to be like Pink Floyd, you know. Uh, the notes David Gilmore played were just as important as the notes he didn't play, and vice versa, and things like that. Oh, yeah. And like you're talking about, Evil Dead's, you know, just because they can sever that head or they can have that arm dangling by a tendon doesn't mean they should do it every second. Um, right. So I don't know. Tell how I feel yeah, about that. Again, it's like, uh, you know, it's it, using it to one of the bands at the festival. It's, you know, the band Down and Jimmy Bauer, the drummer, you know, plays guitar and I hate God and he downs, he drums for Down. You know, if you listen to Jimmy's drumming patterns, and so much of his uh, skills are about, like you said, what he does to play. You know, he's not having to do 50,000 fills, but, you know, make it, dude, look how technical I am and amazing and, you know, what a wheel, uh, oh, no. wanker I am on. It's just about those in between beats where he's not doing anything. No, and you and know, a lot, that, a lot of people don't get that and they don't understand that, but the more you listen to music and experience it and allow yourself to be overcome by it, then that's when that starts to make sense. No, man. You know, Bauer, I mean, he comes from the school, the old school. I mean, you don't have to, you got your Phil Rudds, and I hate to say, I mean, I know people dog him, but even like your Lars Ulrichs back in the day, you know, they were simple, man. They got the job done, but they were hard hitters, man. There was no no flash, you know. Dude, Bunny Carlos. Bunny Carlos from Cheap Trick. (laughs) You know, some of the most, oh, well, you know, and they could even something a little more mainstream. Ringo Starr with the Beatles. Oh, absolutely. Everybody's like, oh, Ringo sucks. Dude, Ringo's a fucking genius. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get a lot of credit for what he did, but, you know, every musician that ever played with him thinks he's one of the greatest drummers ever. So, you know, it's uh, it's all about taste, man. But I like a crazy little Neil Peart type thing going on every now and then, too. So It works in all aspects, (laughs) just like film. Um, Absolutely. Rolling into the music side of things, um, it, it really seems like you absolutely extracted the entire NOLA scene, which is not a bad thing. I mean, you've got everybody from Goat Horror, you know, obviously down, a couple of the boys in down pulling double duty. You got Phil doing the solo thing with the illegals, which, by the way, that shit I've heard is some sporadic shit. I'm excited about that. Uh, the whole album or just a few no, songs? I've heard everything that, he, that they've released uh, for streaming. And, uh, yeah, dude, it's, it's insane. It, it is. I love it. I love it because it's it's Philip saying, I did that in the past. I'm going to do this now. And, and I hope uh, you come along for the ride. And if you don't, oh, well, you're missing I'm out. Gonna, I'll, I'll put the brakes on it and talk about that for just a second because I'm a music sure. snob. But the walkthrough <laughs> exits only, which, by the way, I think the title's brilliant. Even the title's yeah. unconventional. Um, it's, it's not mainstream or catchy at all. It makes you think, like, what the hell are we talking about here? You'd have right. to listen to the product. And then when you hear these songs, I mean, I, I hear people, you know, on the, the social inter, interwebs and stuff talking about, oh, it sounds like Superjoint. They need to get their ears checked. Um, because it sounds nothing like Superjoint. It, it that, that, that cracks me up when I read that. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. I'm such a huge Phil and Selma fan, and pretty much everything 
major he's done that I probably could have predicted, you know, had a pretty good idea how this was going to sound. And right. listening to about half of it, I think they've released, it's, it is the most sporadic stop-and-go time insanity. I mean, it's, it's nothing he does is mainstream, but if there was something that was anti-mainstream of the anti-mainstream he was already doing, it's this. It's not predictable. And I already know it's not going to be for everybody. But it's for me, so that's all I really give a shit about. But and that's how it, Philip is about it. it. It makes him fucking happy. It makes him, you know, dude with horrible back surgeries and this and that jumps up and down like he was twenty, you know, twenty years old when he's playing this shit. And that's all. That's all he cares about is that it gets him off, and hopefully you like it too, and you come along for that ride, man. So uh, I, it's. I mean, basically the first time I listened to it with him. I came out of it with bruises because the whole time he sat there, played the whole CD for me, and he punched me every time he was emphasizing <laughs> the lyrics, dude, in my right bicep. And I'm like, I'm not a small guy, you know. I'm as bi- I'm as big as Phil, and I was fucking hurting, man. <laughs> when like, I, heard- I kind of like your record, but I also have a lot of bad memories attached to it now, Phil. So thanks a lot, man. <laughs> I when I first heard, I think it was Conflict that they released. I had the biggest smile on my face streaming that, and I cranked it loud. And there's only one other song, I mean, that can actually possess me in my own home. Nobody here just start thrashing around and, like, tossing over furniture. And that's always been Sandblasted Skin off the very underrated underrated record. But uh, that had me thrashing about like a lunatic. And if somebody could have seen me through my (laughs) patio window, they probably would have called the cops, you know, for reports of a struggle. But it put a big smile on my face. It would, it would have. Uh, I didn't know. Uh, I, I not that I doubted him, but man, to see him screaming like that, man, he's coughing up a lung. It's just, it is aggressive, and it's good to see, you know, that side of it too. I mean, down. Well, amazing. it's nice too because if you go online right now, you know, down is in Europe right now doing all the festivals this summer, and uh, Phil is just on fire, dude. You know, I mean, it, and and I think the reason for that is because as soon as he gets done with that, he's going to come right back around, release the solo record, and then go out on tour on that. And so, you know, he's been, you know, the down sound is obviously a lot different than the Pantera sound, the Super Joint sound, the Viking Crown sound, and now the Illegals. And, you know, so he's obviously been focusing on getting ready for down and getting ready for the Illegals tours. And totally again, totally different styles of voice, different ways of using your your your, your you know your diaphragm, your throat, everything that you do. But if you listen to him singing right now on what's down tour, dude, he sounds heavy as shit. <laughs> I I bet he does. You know, I actually uh, this this probably coincided well enough too because I saw him in uh, West Hollywood a few months back, or actually in January, I think it was, and they killed it. They were at yeah. uh, gosh, I don't. It wasn't the whiskey. I don't know where it was at the Key Club. Key Club. Right, and it right, was just, right. it was insane. And I've actually, I've seen Down three times, and they always sound best in the smallest, dankiest little club you can get. I've seen them open for Metallica too, and that's not going to service a band like Down. Right. But man, he was just on fire, and I, I wasn't expecting it. So, you know, whatever's keeping those chops up, I'm stoked though to see him at uh, the old house core. And uh, hopefully, Double Duty. I wonder if that would throw him off going from. Uh, no, he is doing Double Duty, so it'll be, uh, you know, a night off in between. So he'll be doing one on Friday and the other on Sunday. Way to go, uh, way to go, resurrecting Crowbar too. I haven't seen them active in a while though. I'm stoked to see Crowbar. They've been around, man. I, maybe I'm out of the loop, but I haven't seen uh, Crowbar touring or being too active lately, especially with uh, um, his projects, Kirk Winstein's projects with Jamie Joss and all that stuff. But anyway, I'm stoked to see him nonetheless. And um, yeah, well, you know, you know, Pat is uh, is the bass player down too. So absolutely, so he's doing double duty on there as well. So yeah, let's see, Phillips doing double duty, Pat's doing double duty, Kirk's doing double duty, Jimmy's doing double duty with I Hate God. Uh, let's see. We've got Blue, who drums for War Beast and for Philip and the Illegals. Um, we've got a cat who is the, in a band called Death Will Tremble and is now the new singer for Screw. So he's going to be doing double duty. So it'll be fun, man, to watch these guys really, but, you know, really bleed out on the stage for their fans and, uh, and and make it happen twice. So which leads me to my next inquiry. So how close are we on uh, closing the deal for Crozier Conformity? <clears throat> Not at all. For COC? Yeah. <laughs> you guys uh, dude, I love it. This is funny, man. I love COC, but I love it. I'm on to be COC. Pre Pepper. Pre Pepper. I, 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 think, I, think, I think Pepper and Post Pepper is great. 
but for me, nothing beats animosity. Man, 1985 yeah. hardcore. I um, killer. You know, the three piece. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's killer, man. And what they're doing now is the three pieces killer. I just thought, hey, I'd be cool, man. Pepper would probably join him on stage. And, and I thought In the Arms of God was one of the best albums of the last decade. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and personally. But anyway. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know any of the specifics behind that situation at all. I do know that uh, a couple, I think Woody and I, I don't know if it was Mike Dean, um, joined down on in Europe I can't, just recently, like within the last month or two, that they did, uh, you know, Very Mean Smoke uh, with uh, at least two of the COC guys. And um, but yeah, as far as that, no, that ain't gonna happen for Housecore Horror oh, Film Festival. There's, may, may, there's nothing, nothing bad there. It just it's it's not meant to be this year. So hey, maybe next year. Are you guys wanting to try and shoot for an annual thing? By the way. Absolutely, man. Uh, it's strictly, you know, there's there's really only two things that we have to satisfy. Uh, one is putting on a badass party for everybody. Mm-hmm. And then two, making sure that we don't go broke doing it. Sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And that those are really the determining factors on this because we want to do it. You know, we got to get people to come out to see it, obviously. That's how we were able to fund everybody. And, uh, you know, with 34 bands and 80 to 100 movies, and a whole slew of other things going on. Uh, you know, it's not cheap, uh, but we're actually doing very well. We're on our way to making it financially feasible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you know, if anything, obviously, it, annual events would be fantastic. Uh, I'd love to expand if it, it continues to do well. We already have, you know, been looking and talking about some different locations in the future that are a little bit larger, and not so much large as in, quantity of people, but just the uh, ability to have more things going on uh, in, in the same area. Um, so, yeah, and, uh, you know, then we've had a, you know, once we started talking about it publicly, we've had a ton of people that actually want Phil to take it out on the road and turning into a touring machine and all that, but, you know, that's probably not going to happen, you know. There, mm-hmm. there, there, there's already been the Ozfest in the past, but, you know, this is more about... A, a destination point yeah. weekend for people, and that's the that's the special aspect of it. I think that would I think it's great. You guys, I, I, having that one weekend a year to look forward to. I don't know. I think on the road might. Uh, yeah, and always the weekend that. before Halloween, man. You know, that's the intention is that whether it's on Halloween or it's the weekend right before. Because you know, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Austin, but Halloween in Austin, you know, Austin's got a million killer things to do. But one of the weakest things that everybody thinks is great in Austin is Halloween. And what happens on Halloween is there's a place in Austin, basically the you know, where everybody meets. It's called Sixth Street. And there's 30 clubs on there. There's five bands a night in each of those clubs. It's just constantly entertainment. And uh, on Halloween, all they do, everybody goes out there, dresses up in costumes, gets drunk, gets drunk, and then uh, walk around in circles for like four hours. <laughs> and usually, you know, there's literally about a hundred thousand people there. Wow! It's uh, vomit and fights. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much what you get, you know, when you do Halloween on Sixth Street. And, and you know, I graduated from there. So, I, you know, I, I've been doing, you know, I went to that for a million times, and I just got bored with it. You know, I was just like, oh, this is just stupid. And, it's, you know, I want to really enjoy Halloween. And it was cool to walk around and see people in costumes. That was the best part. But there was no, you know, there were no metal shows going on there. There were no horror-themed movies being screened there. There's nothing horror-related that people dressing up. So we're like, well, fuck it. Let's do all those things and then invite all those people that like to dress up if they want. And they can come out here and do the same thing with the... You know, with all like-minded people, not just people going out. Again, again, it's the trendy thing, you know, let's go out where everybody else is. You know, that's not what this is about. This is about, you know, if you're into metal, you're into horror, come here and have fun, be yourself. So. Well, kind of, kind of talk, tell the listeners real quick where they can uh, go and uh, get tickets and uh, more information and everything. Yeah, if you go to housecorehorrorfilmfestival.com, uh, you'll see the, we have, uh, we use Eventbrite as our ticket sellers. And uh, just we have you know little drop down tags you can use attend HHFF, which is House Core Horror Film Festival, uh, or you just click on the Eventbrite uh, logo, the big orange obnoxious logo. It'll take you to the various options we have uh, to purchase badges or wristbands. 
and uh, that's it. It's pretty simple, really. So you guys sold out of the VIP tickets, right? So you guys are doing something we right? We did. Yeah, we did. We uh, we did it a different way. You know, most film festivals and and music fests will sell VIP tickets at an exorbitant fee, and uh, you know, really bring people over the coals. We did it in a different way. We decided that. We're just going to tell people we're putting on this party, and we want to reward those people who are taking a chance with us uh, mm-hmm. by, you know, hey, we're going to do this thing. We're going to put metal and music together. We're going to have some haunted stuff going on. And Philip Anselmo is throwing this party. Are you guys into this? And didn't tell them who the bands were. Didn't tell them what the films were. And, you know, just put it out there, and people started buying. I mean, we actually had them at lower prices. And it was just our way of thanking people for taking a risk on us, um, you know, to do this. And so, uh, you know, over time, they were like, okay, and by the way, Down's playing, I Hate God's playing, Crowbar's playing, Philip and the Illegals, his first Texas solo day would be there, and Warbeats. So that's all we told them. And then, you know, a little while later, then we said, oh, and we're bringing in Jim Van Bever and uh, York Bootgerite. And then it was like, Okay, we're bringing in Goblin, and they're mm-hmm. going to live score Suspiria. And then we waited like another two months, and we said, "Oh, by the way, here's 34 bands, and that includes Guar and Suffocation, and which Warp will be insane." Yeah, and so you know, it was just you know, the price has gone up, but we wanted to reward people in the in the beginning for just taking a risk that it was Philip. Absolutely. I was stoked. I was stoked the second they announced it before any bands were lined up or any of that stuff. So, I mean, I, and I have friends that were also stoked. So, I mean, that's really cool that you guys did that. Um, and I really do hope people dress up. Hope, so that is an open inv- invitation. Cause and I, we've already had people sending in their pictures of what they're designing. I, for their, I was for their curious costume. about that. It being the weekend of Halloween. That'll be nuts. I don't know what to go as Riverman. Are you going to go as a sleazeball like you do every year? <laughs> we'll see. What does that just mean? He rolls out of bed. And just he just rolls out of bed. Doesn't brush his teeth. Uh, no, and uh, I don't want to jump the gun there because I want to talk about really quick before I know I don't want to keep you, but the biggest thing for me, honestly, yeah, is you Goblin. Can ask questions as long as you dude, want, man. Dude, Goblin is the most exciting thing for me because, I mean, as much as I love these bands and as much as I love some of these films, you know, I, I, I get, I have a lot of opportunities to catch Phil on the road pounding it out. Goblin, how'd you guys get them to? to the States, man. And for them to live score, I don't know if Riverman, I don't know if you knew about this, but they're going to live score Suspiria. Oh, really? Well, they're actually doing two nights. They're going to you know, do the live score for Suspiria, which that will actually be our closing event for the whole yeah. festival. And then, uh, but on Sunday night, they are going to be doing a concert. And what that entails is them playing live. They'll have the, uh, you know, the full blown movie screen behind them. And they're pretty much going to be playing, uh, all songs from, uh, the scores from the horror. Sorry about that. They're playing, uh, all scores from their horror films. Uh, so it's like Dawn of the Dead, Sleepless, uh, Tenebrae, Deep Red. You know, you can just go down the list. Mm-hmm. And, and they're fantastic. The, the dawn of the, the dawn of the dead theme is my arguably my favorite theme of all time. There's just so much nostalgia that goes with it. So I mean, I'm so excited to, oh, yeah. to hear that in the backdrop. Might Absolutely. be second second behind Return of the Living Dead theme. I can get stones thrown at me if you yeah. that. But I love that theme. But no, I like, honestly, the, I like the Day of the Dead stuff too. Yeah, Day of the Dead's great, before, man. And if you you know if you uh, I don't know if you guys listen to Boards of Canada. Uh, little ambient band that's been around for 20 years. Uh, they just released their first album, their their next, their newest album. It's been eight years since their last one. Um, they they pay homage to uh, Romero's Dawn of or Day of the Dead throughout that whole record, man. It's phenomenal. And and only if you're into Romero would you even know that, you know. So, uh, but anyway, that's the side. We could do all the slides all day. But Goblin Man, um, how did that come about? It was. Uh, David Bond, the producer and creator for the Profane exhibit, uh, he and I have been talking about, you know, we wanted to bring his film in for the uh, U.S. premiere. And uh, obviously, you know, if you know anything about the Profane exhibit, in addition to all these named directors, there's also a lot of uh, music people who do the scores for each of those short films within there. And uh, like Kevin Key from Skin Puppy. Uh, the guys from Mayhem, one of the girls from Gallhammer. Uh, I can't even pull the list up of everybody. And uh, and then one of the composers is uh, Maurizio Guarini from Goblin. 
And I was just, it was funny because like two weeks before, Phil and I were just like, man, we, we want to bring something really fucking cool in. And we're like, wouldn't it be great, man, if we could bring Goblin in and show Suspiria and have them play? And we were just totally fantasizing, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then two weeks later, I'm talking to David Bond and we're talking about everybody involved in the movie and the, the musicians. And, you know, I see that Maurizio is, is uh, one of the composers. And I'm like, do you know Maurizio? He's like, well, of course, he's in my movie. You know, like, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, can you hook me up with him? Because me and Phil would really fucking love to bring Goblin to the United States to do this. He would just make the festival phenomenal. I mean, it, it doesn't even matter. You know, that, that was kind of Philip and I were like, yeah, that'll never happen. Never, but let's try it anyway. And dude, within like a day, uh, Maurizio and I are Facebooking, and we're like, this is what we want to do. We want you guys to come down here. We want you to screen, you know, Suspiria and play it. And we'd love you to do a concert also. Would you be up for this? I'm like, this is great. Because, you know, there's all these different iterations of Goblin throughout the years. Uh, whether it's Mauricio and Claudio Simonetti and uh, Massimo Morante, the three main guys from that 75 and on. Um, or it was just sometimes it was just Maurizio and some guys from Canada, or it was you know Claudio and Maurizio as Goblin Keys. There's been all these different variations of the band, and uh, you know the Goblin has actually played in the U.S. one time. Uh, they played in New York a few years ago. <laughs> Excuse me, but it was one of those smaller variations. It was only like Maurizio and then his Canadian uh, touring musicians. And they played one show as a concert. So we're like, all right, well, we can't say it's the U.S. premiere of Goblin, but it is the U.S. the North American premiere of Goblin's live scoring Suspiria. Well, I heard today, and, uh, I heard them today uh, giving a shout out to you guys saying that they actually announced a mini tour and it's going to now it's going to lead up to the house core being the, the finale of that tour. Yeah, I mean, man, they, it's, they were giving it's, you guys full you know, credit. Yeah, which is phenomenal, you know. I mean, we're so glad that they get this opportunity. I mean, yeah, obviously we want everybody to come down to Austin to see them. But the fact now that they're going to be doing the coasts for people that can't come to House Court is great, man. I mean, it's just such a great band. You know, just amazing musicians, super nice cats. You know, just, you know, they deserve to be exposed mm -hmm. to America properly. I, I and, sure uh, I sure hope sorry? they're taking. I'm sorry. I sure hope they're taking advantage of uh, merchandise opportunities because they got my money for oh. a shirt. Yeah, they're doing. I think they're doing like a, a uh, uh, you know a tour only CD also that they're doing oh, wow. like EP or something like that too. And yeah, they got a ton of merchandise that'll be great. So, but um, yeah, so you know, Mauricio and I have been talking, and you know, we're at, this is something funny. We were. We were actually trying to make it a tour with Philip and the Illegals and Goblin, hmm. uh, but we just couldn't. You know, we just couldn't get all the details worked out because he's got the down stuff still that's happening and all that. Uh, and they wanted to do it. And Philip wanted to do it. It was just going to be amazing, you know. And to bring and that's the whole point. It's like, you know, sonically it doesn't sound like the Illegals, but it's about the attitude and. You know, Goblin basically is an extreme form of music for people. You know, it's it's not Slayer, it's not Cryptic Slaughter, it's not Thrash, this and that. But it's you know, it's the ability to create a creepy vibe to you know scare the crap out of people just with your music uh, and get your heart racing. I mean, that's a form of extreme music, and that's Absolutely. what we brought to house for. And so we're just we're that close to making it Philip and Goblin on a on a U.S. tour leading up to it, but didn't work out. So, and so then luckily they were able to still continue on and do this headline stuff, and we just think that's kick ass. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they're yeah, and then you're right. They're they're getting this full credit for for bringing the matter to the states and uh, you know getting everybody re excited about the band too. So we're really grateful for uh, for their gratefulness. So yeah. Well, for what it's worth, man, I think you guys are going to have a pretty solid uh, debut year. It sounds pretty exciting. And I, I can't thank you enough for giving us the time. Yeah, man. thank I know, you so I know, much. I know you're a busy dude, man. You're like a man of like every hat on the planet. Um, yeah, I don't. Sleeping is completely overrated, dude. That's all it, I'm it's, gonna say. I, I could imagine. <laughs> I could imagine talking to you seven days a week and, and totally on a different topic each of those days. So um, you're definitely uh, a man of your craft, and we appreciate you greatly, man. Yeah, so. thank you so much. Well, it's very, 
very kind words to be for you guys to say. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're just Philip and I are so excited. And I, you know, I'd be remiss to to not mention one of our associates, Tammy Moore, mm-hmm. who is the you know really done a, a bang up job with getting all the bands lined up for all this stuff too. She's you know just as much a part of this as Philip. You know, I you know Philip and I. Philip is Philip, of course. You know, and then I've got a name because of my books. And you know, Tammy is a, a name in in Austin, and she's our hands on person there uh, and treats these bands and musicians like you know gods and, and takes care of them and you know just all about putting on a kick-ass show so is she going to be on site at the event oh yeah absolutely yeah you I, can't miss her again you can't miss her i look forward to yeah. meeting all you guys and, and talking to those you know big time players that are behind the scenes too those guys are m- more important absolutely Thank you very much for your interest in High School Horror Film Festival. Not, and, what, and what's that? I, I like to make friends, not associates. That's my motto. But what was that weekend? Let's pitch that weekend. The weekend before Halloween. So what dates does that I, fall on again? Yeah, weekend before Halloween, uh, October 24th through October 27th in Austin, Texas. HighSchoolHorrorFilmFestival.com. And uh, we're constantly updating stuff uh, on Facebook and on the website. Just little dribs and drabs as we get to it. Um, you know, like I said, we still haven't announced the bulk of the films yet, so we'll be looking forward to that over the next couple of months. And we'll probably be having a few celebrity judges judging the films. We're doing the Rotskers, uh, which is uh, our version of the Oscars, but with a uh, an Eddie-like uh, Oscar award to be handing out. Eddie from Iron Maiden. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but we're doing it differently. We're not doing a cheese ball show. We're actually doing it on the last night in between mm-hmm. the. Bands. So that way these filmmakers can be there in front of 1,600 people. Absolutely. So, yeah, we, we, well, you guys heard it all here first, man. Go out and support these guys, and we hope to see you all at House Core Horror Festival as well. Thank you guys very much. 